0: Recovery Elevator episode 128.
1: There's this quote that I really like that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,048 days. On today's podcast, we have Odette She's from sunny San Diego. She's 29 years old. And at the time of this recording, she's been sober for seven days. Now, many of the interviews with people who are in uber early recovery, we're talking like 3 to 20 to, you know, the first 30 days. theres some of my favorites. You can hear it in their voice just how bad they want this, how they will do anything it takes to get sober. They're doing an interview on a podcast. that gets downloaded thousands of times, creating accountability. I don't know in fact i can probably tell you there's not a chance in hell i would have done a podcast interview in my first 30 days of sobriety so kudos to you odette and the others who have done podcast interviews on this podcast in your first 30 days okay before we go any further let's hear from cafe re before i got sober i felt alone it felt like i was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once i had started With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code Elevator for your first month free. Again, use the promo code Elevator when signing up for your first month free. Let's get started. I got the idea for today's podcast topic from an article that was sent to me titled The Spiritual Consequences of Alcohol Consumption by Zara Sita. Now there is a link to this in the show notes, recoveryelevator.com episode 128. You can find a link to this article. Now, I don't think the contents of the following three to five minutes of this podcast is going to really help you get sober, but it's kind of cool and it's interesting to know the etymology of the word alcohol. So, although it was mass-produced, mass-promoted, legal, and ingested by a multitude of people all over the world, most people don't ever consider or understand the spiritual consequences of drinking alcohol, Uh, like myself for about 20 years. Let's begin by taking a look at the etymology of the word alcohol. Etymology means the root of the word, where it is derived from. The word alcohol comes from the Arabic al-kul, which means body-eating spirit. Ugh, that sounds scary. And gives root origins to the English term for ghoul. In Middle Eastern folklore, a ghoul is an evil demon thought to eat human bodies, either as stolen corpses or as children. Yikes. So to recap, alcohol comes from the Arabic word al-ghul, and al-ghul literally means body-eating spirit. Holy shit, that's not good. And then the root for the English-speaking term is ghoul, which is basically a demon that eats stolen corpses and children. Hmm, a lot of folklore is placed in with etymology, but that is some scary shit. The words alembic and alcohol, both metaphors for aqua vitae or life water and spirit, often refer to a distilled liquid that came from magical explorations in Middle Eastern alchemy. In the words of writer and health enthusiast Jason Christoph, in alchemy, alcohol is used to extract the soul and essence of an entity. Hence, its use as extracting essence for essential oils and the sterilization of medical instruments. By consuming alcohol into the body, it, in effect, extracts the very essence of our soul, allowing the body to be more susceptible to neighboring entities, most of which are of low frequencies. And why do you think we call most alcoholic beverages spirits? Hmm, I guess there's your answer right there. Some folkloric definitions here is that is why people who consume excessive amounts of alcohol often black out, not remembering what happened. This happens when the good soul we were sent here with leaves us because the living conditions are just too polluted and too traumatic to tolerate. The good soul jettisons the body, staying connected to a tether, and a dark entity takes the body for a joyride around the block, often in a hedonistic and self-serving illogical rampage. Our bodies are cars for spirits. If one leaves, another can take the car for a ride. Essentially, when someone goes dark after drinking alcohol or polluting themselves in many other ways, their body often becomes possessed by another entity. I don't personally necessarily believe that word for word, but it is interesting to look at the root of the word alcohol and what it means in other cultures. Quite frankly, body-eating spirit? Yeah, I, I believe that 100%. For about the tail end of my drinking, I you don't know, five, six, seven, eight years, a body-eating spirit was uh, pretty much all I was drinking. So yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good definition there. This article then takes a turn and talks about spiritual vision quests, about how the author was transported as an observer in popular bars and nightclubs. I'm going to admit that part of the article. Again, if you'd like to read the full article, you can find it at recoveryelevator.com. Show notes, episode 128. But I did find the epidemiology of the word interesting, and I did want to share that with you guys. So enough out of me. Let's hear from Odette. Odette, how are you?
1: Good. How are you, Paul? Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, good. Thanks for asking. Odette, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: I have been sober for one week today, so I'm still on that pink cloud for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations on one week. There was a time in my journey where I would have killed to get one week of sobriety, so that is not jump change. It's a fantastic building block. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun, Odette?
1: Yes, well, I am from originally from Mexico. I'm from Guadalajara is right in the middle of the country but right now I live in San Diego. I've been living in San Diego for almost 7 years and I live here with my family, which is my two kiddos, a pup and my husband. I am 29 years old. I'm a wellness and fitness coach. I did go to school for hotel and restaurant management, so my path kind of changed a little bit. Sure. I have a I have a background with eating disorders, so I've been recovered or in recovery. I like saying I'm still in recovery from that. It's been about four years and for fun, I love going to the beach. I feel very blessed to live in San Diego. I love cooking, reading. I really like attending concerts and traveling, which I'm sure no one complains when it comes to traveling.
0: How far are you away from the beach?
1: About 10 minutes.
0: That's not bad. Do you get out there often?
1: Yes, we try to get out there every weekend. It's a good activity to get the kids outside and unplug a little bit from our electronics and it's just not hard to get there when it's in the high 70s most of summer
0: yeah yeah you guys you guys your perfect weather all year long out there
1: <laughs> i know and it's funny because then when it does rain people are complaining but it's it's great I do, I do feel very thankful and particularly in my case the border is right next to us and all of my family is down in mexico so it's just easy for me to go home and that's another reason why I'm just nice. super grateful that I get to live right here. Yeah.
0: Here you go. Well, let's talk about some alcohol here. Describe your drinking habits, you know, in the last 10 years, five years or before you decided to quit drinking. How much did you drink and did you ever put any rules in the place to try to cut back?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's been mentioned on the podcast and a lot of people who are, who have been kind of in this. Therapy bubble, which is my personal case, you know the facts. You know, I know that alcoholism is progressive. And when I moved here seven years ago, I just clearly remember that I wasn't drinking except on weekends. And not because I had set a rule for myself, but I just wasn't a weekday drinker. I wasn't mm-hmm. an everyday drinker. And it's been a couple of months in my mind that I just started to really become self-aware of how that had changed and evolved. And I've always considered myself a moderate drinker because I would have two, three a night, but it became, got to a point where it was an every night ritual and and I was cultivating that habit to where it was every single day and on weekends, obviously a little bit more. People love going to brunch brunch out here. We love going out with friends. There's a ton of brewery. So it was just on the weekend, a free for all, obviously maintaining some sort of composture because... I'm a parent, but Mm -hmm. I I did notice that I gave myself a little more permission on weekends. But where I really just had to be honest with myself is with the fact that I was never an everyday drinker. And here I was, maybe all of a sudden trying to not have a drink on a Monday, have a sober Monday, when that was never the case before. So I just noticed the natural progression of my personal drinking habits, even though I didn't, I was justifying it because I wasn't getting smashed every night.
0: Sure, and when did that progression happen when you weren't an everyday drinker and then you realized you were an everyday drinker?
1: I think a lot of it actually happened once I recovered. I went to treatment for my eating disorder and I had a lot of restrictions around food and I think, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably didn't drink that much when I was very sick with my eating disorder because obviously drinks are calories and gaining weight is one of the fears around Mm. eating disorders. So this is just me trying to make a conclusion because obviously I wasn't in the right headspace at the time, but I think I just didn't drink because I was counting my calories. So why would I even add a beer to that calorie count? But when I got out, I really worked hard on removing all of the food restrictions that I had and incorporating things that I hadn't eaten for years and just giving myself a little bit more of a break in terms of just detaching from diet, shalala, all that stuff. So I think that as a way to cope, almost like when people go to rehab and then they never used to have a cigarette and then they come out as smokers. I I don't know if that's what happened, but that's my conclusion that I just maybe started having a drink (laughs) to calm down and to to relax in quotations. But then it obviously, I think it backfired on me. I'm 100% sure it backfired on me.
0: Gotcha. I don't say backfire to me. I have only myself to blame, but I went to Hope Rehab to volunteer in January this year, and I may have came back a smoker myself. But I'm I nip I nipped that in the butt a little while ago. But you said that I was like, ooh, yeah, I can relate to you on that one. Yeah, so when you know the, you realized you were telling yourself that okay, like I I'm not somebody with a drinking problem because I don't drink every day, and then you did drink every day, but then you said, you know what, I don't get smashed. Did that progression ever change? Or was it something that, like, all right, now I'm drinking every day and I'm getting smashed?
1: No, I just, I did notice that my weekend frequency started getting higher to where I was purposefully making plans that involved drinking with, like, go for brunch or, hey, let's just have mimosas with our breakfast. So it's been a couple of months, but I noticed that I was very much looking forward to it, A, and B, just. It was, it was becoming a little bit consuming in my head, and that's when I started getting a little bit worried because that's exactly what happened with food. So I'm really thankful that I had my – food is my drug of choice, but I'm really thankful that I had my path with an eating disorder because it's almost like I found myself having the same thoughts and the same patterns as when I was trapped with food. So it was almost like a, it was becoming some sort of red flag to me in the last couple of months, like, wait. You're creating more rules about booze. Wait, you are being very absorbed by thoughts about when's your next drink? When's the weekend? What are we going to do to get some cocktails? So I just noticed that same absorption of my brain in it. Like, listen, I call my ego, my voice, Odelia, because she's the black swan and Odetta's the white swan. So I was like,
0: <laughs> Julia, I like What?
1: It. Like, I, yeah, I can hear her so loud. Like, like what's happening? I, I, I work doing this. I've been helping people to detach from their ego. I've been really working with awareness, like what's going on? I just started becoming really worried. And and it was more of like my own intuition versus talking it out with a couple of people. And they're like, you're fine. It's motherhood. I mean, who doesn't get through the motherhood the first couple of years without booze, you know? So I almost also justified it by sharing it with people who obviously either haven't struggled with addiction or just don't know enough About it to where they just helped me justify, you know. And you surround yourself with people who maybe have the same habits, so you try to make yourself feel better. But deep down, I'm just like feel like I'm a ticking bomb, and I don't really know if I want to go down that route.
0: Yeah, let me explore something you said just a couple minutes ago. You said it's consuming in the head, and you know, can can you tell us about a time when it did just that, where it just was consuming?
1: Well, super plain, right? Super Bowl, for example, this year, we already, our, our little baby, he's so young, he's eight months old, and he was only like four months old at the time, and it was the first Super Bowl after my pregnancy, and I, I was almost planning for it, planning on a booze binge. The fact that I was planning for it, I was thinking about it, organizing it, it, it did consume a lot of my energy and my time, and right now... I don't have much time because I have two kids to take care of, so I don't think that's where my potential can be can be used. So I noticed that I just found myself planning for it and then actually acting on it. I ended up getting pretty toasty, very toasty. Everyone got home safe, so I'm really thankful for that, but I ended up throwing up, which I can't even remember the last time that had happened. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I just remember more than being hungover. I was, like, mentally really, really struggling, because deep down, I knew that I had enabled my own addiction. And I just, I knew it. I, I don't know if I'm the same as many listeners. And I just hope I can relate to some But I feel like I'm not in denial. I'm just trying to trying to beat it, because I just feel like I'm very aware when it's the addiction. So I just was like, wow, like this is actually happening. And my dad's a recovered alcoholic. I want to give him a shout out because he's training eight years in a couple of days
0: wow congratulations um, to him. Eight,
1: yeah eight years of sobriety and and a big fear that an adult child of an alcoholic always has is to repeat the story so here I am look, trying to blame other people for my story going shitty trying to point fingers when I'm the one who's not doing what's right for me and I just kind of had an epiphany where I was like crap like you have to own your truth Everyone, you may you you look at other people and you're like, look at them, they're fine, they have kids and they like drinking. But I just need to own my truth. I'm genetically predisposed. I am an addict, and I just I don't want to lose my family over it. You know, I just don't even want to go that route.
0: And so, Jet, when was it that you decided that you needed to quit drinking? Like you just mentioned, you look, I have a genetic predisposition. The writing is on the wall. I, you know, the progression is happening clearly right in front of my eyes. So, so when was it? Was it, was it one week ago or did you realize this far before that?
1: It had been on my mind. It had been stewing in my mind for months. I just honestly was still trying to talk myself out of it. So I wasn't sharing with anyone. I was just thinking maybe if I quit drinking, I'll just, I don't know, I, I, Sorry, I'm rambling, but I'm a very optimistic person, and I noticed for the last couple of months that I was living from a place of fear, and I think it was because I was just scared that things are going to get bad, and I'm going to, my life's going to completely change if I keep cultivating this habit. And I actually have a habit swap group going on right now for work, where we're all trying to change one small habit, and it just almost felt like everyone, everything was connected. I was thinking, why what if for the habit swap group, I just swap my Weekday wine drinking for bubbles, for sparkling water. That's what I mean, bubbles. But I'm just <laughs> bubble yeah, bath. putting, yeah, putting like an, I don't know, putting an excuse. So it was a week and a half ago that I just went on my podcast list and I was like, I need to listen to something uplifting. And I typed in recovery and recovery elevator come up, came on and I just, I believe in signs. I took it as a sign. I pressed play, felt immediately related to the episode and just, Signed up to Cafe RE, immediately I just went for things before I even thought about them. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I was like, yes, I just I need to go sober. And it was a very intense moment where I decided, but I feel like it had been coming in the months past. It was just a, a normal day. You know, I wasn't hungover or anything. I just, I feel like it was just, it just happened because it was time, my time yeah, at least.
0: This is all happening pretty quickly too. This journey is, is ramping up fast. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm kind of like that which is cool for some people not so cool for other people I mean my loved ones are always trying to catch up so I'm super thankful I'm kind of I have an entrepreneur spirit so I have new ideas all the time and I'm an all-inner so I just I want to make sure that I'm committed and it's not just a just an impulse you know because I really do think it's going to be good for me in the long term I'm an addict like I said and Every time I drink it's as simple as that. Every time I drink, my eating disorder is like I get by with a little help from my friend. Like <laughs> I just know that it's happy because I'm feeding into the ego and it's just I know it's not who I am and I deep down in my gut I just I know that I have to do this. So I feel super thankful that I found your podcast and the accountability group is awesome. It reminds me of my own accountability group with what I do. So I just wanna encourage People that maybe have that little like that little gut feeling inside of them that something's off you're probably right
0: now. You've heard me say this on the podcast many times is you can't skip any of the stops on this journey into sobriety, but you can speed through it. And so I gotta congratulate you, Odette. You you recognize the issue. You're like, look, I gotta quit drinking. Got on Doctor Google, or you know, just started searching for podcasts and you found me and you're jumping right into it. Congratulations. And you know, what has it been like? I was you you said, Oh, I'm on the I'm on the pink cloud after a week yeah <laughs> that's pretty quick. It's even that's happening pretty fast. So I'm happy for you. But what what's it been like in the last week, two weeks for you?
1: It's been hard, obviously, and I 4th of July just passed, so that was definitely a little bit harder because we had a lot of plans around the holiday, but we did change a little bit of plans and I really am thankful for my kids. I have a 3-year-old and an 8-month-old like I said and it's just been very It's been a week of just trying to find being grounded Mm -hmm. because that's really what helps me kick the urge is just really focusing on the present moment. And I'm actually at the moment reading this book by Eckhart Tolle called A New Earth. And right as I decided to dive into sobriety, I'm reading all of these chapters about being in the present moment and how you can actually free yourself from the past if you decide to do what's in the present to to take the assignment that the universe has given you, which is which is now. And I work, and I try to do my best right now because I have kids, but my number one assignment right now from the universe, God, whatever you believe in, is to be a mother and to be a, a present mother. And I know for a fact that alcohol made, makes me less present and less patient. So I've really just hung on to my kids and have really just enjoyed being a mom and tried to focus on that. So it's been a week of a lot of, Parenting moments. It's been a week of listening to a podcast every single day to stay accountable, exercise, a lot of self care, and just trying to trying to take it one day at a time. I kind of freak out when I when I think about sobriety as a long term thing. So just just trying to stay in the moment, I guess.
0: And talk to me about accountability. You mentioned in an email to me that you have a Facebook group called the Harmony Tribe, which is with with eating disorders. Is that what's that about?
1: Yes called the Harmony Tribe and it's a it's a group very similar to what you have with Cafe Ari, but it's a, an accountability group for people who are just trying to be healthier so it's not exclusive for people with eating disorders most of my clients actually don't have eating disorders but mm-hmm. it's a group where I do wellness dynamics every Wednesday to like I said remove limiting beliefs and like detach ourselves from that voice it's mm-hmm. a group where people are trying to improve their eating habits a little bit to where they feel energized and exercise a little bit more. And so I work with a lot of moms who we think we don't have the time or with a lot of people who work a lot and same thing, they think they don't have the time. So just teaching people to schedule their self-care and it's a wonderful community. It's really helped me in recovery and with the food aspect and it's, it's a great space. I really think accountability matters. There's this quote that I really like that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I love it. And I, it's, it's so true for me, at least. I, I just think it, it totally matters being able to share vulnerability with other people, being inspired by other people, being just accountable. You know, accountability has a negative connotation, but it's actually a really positive thing, I think.
0: And have you ever had a rock bottom moment in regards to alcohol?
1: I think it was that Super Bowl next the the morning after. I just I don't know. I, I felt terrible, and obviously a lot of mom guilt too, because I already had my my two kiddos, and I just I just knew. I I don't know if it was rock bottom, but I just I just knew. I actually talked to my dad about not drinking anymore. And, he said, oh, well, you're thinking of preventative measure. I was like, uh, well, I did end up on the toilet, so I don't know if that was preventative. <laughs> I don't know sure. if it's a preventative measure, but I guess since I'm not a binge drinker or people don't know me for that, but this is why I'm saying, like, pay attention to your own compass because the way people perceive me is not how I am. You know, you know we're different from how people see us, so just, I just really had a heart-to-heart with myself, I guess. I was ready to clean my side of the street because I was playing a lot of the blame game with other relationships and saying, well, you're an addict. You're an addict. When, Well, what about me?
0: Now you mentioned, you don't think you're going to go down the AA route like your dad. Is that something that you're open to exploring later or how are you doing this right now?
1: Yeah, right now I, I do think that you can't do it alone, to be honest with you. So I'm trying to arrange my schedule to where I can go to a meeting. I'm super open to AA. I just, Don't want to say that i don't have time because i get mad when people tell me that about (laughs) about their priorities but Mm -hmm. i just need i need to to find a meeting a and make time in my schedule right now it's a little bit hectic with the kids but i i love community and i love online groups but a big part of who i am and what i love is also face-to-face interaction and just community so i hope my dad is actually coming into town he doesn't live here next week and i hope to Go to my first meeting while he's here, so maybe we'll make something out of it.
0: You yeah, know, and how did how did drinking impact relationships? As as you're going, you mentioned you're not in the moment. You know, it's tough to to live a life with a family when you're not in the moment. And how did the drinking impact relationships before? And what are you looking to? What are you looking forward to in sobriety afterward?
1: Yeah, the biggest uh, red flag for me with how it affects relationships is I become a hundred percent codependent and not being codependent which is i'll explain the characteristic that it falls into but that's something that i had been striving for when i recovering recovered from my eating disorder was stop being so codependent and stop victimizing myself and in my life and i just noticed that when i drink i always lo- like i fall into that category of person who loves playing the victim role mm-hmm. and i just notice how i become this person that i strive so hard to to not be and i just notice how much of a victim I become you know I get into arguments more easily with my husband I am less patient with my kids like I mentioned and I just really play martyr and I, and I don't like that at all I don't like myself when I do that and to the outside I'm still having a good time I mean I I'm a happy drinker like I'm not you know there's the criers and people who get aggressive I, I'm fine but I just notice my conversations my reactions I get reactive you know I get very reactive with with things people say, and I just I don't like it. I think it's not who I am, or at least who I strive to be. And another thing that I I was noticing too is that, you know, they say genetics load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So for a long time I thought, okay, well, don't drink in front of the kids because then that's their environment. So they're seeing you drink, even though they're young. I don't want them to see that. So, mm-hmm. but then I noticed that environment doesn't mean someone looking at you drinking environment is the person who I become when I've had a couple of drinks so maybe they didn't see me have a drink but I'm with them and I'm less patient cranky moody and who's their environment I'm their environment so I'm already affecting them they're obviously genetically predisposed as well that's the truth so I think my kids are a big part of my why and I just I don't like who I am when I when I drink I don't like Playing martyr, and that's probably the biggest thing because I know that's not me. So the victim thing is just I can't I can't stand
0: it. No, this journey it's it's different for everybody. I have if it's, it's it was extremely difficult for me, but has this been something? you know, getting sober. Has it been hard for you?
1: Yes, we've gone through like a 12 pack of sparkling water every night.
0: Wow, every night it's a lot of sparkling water. <laughs> like all
1: day, like my. Yes, it's the best.
0: It's the best. It's it's solid gold.
1: Solid gold. I'm so happy that I live here because in Mexico it hasn't arrived. And I have a lot of members in the Harmony tribe who always ask me how can they get their hands on some. But um, it's been hard. And I do feel like it's it's windows, windows of time that are hard. And a fellow friend who was also on the recovery podcast, and I call him friend because now I'm in Cafe RE with him said that he set his timer for 20 minutes every time he had an urge.
0: Yeah, the and craving timer.
1: Love it. So I, I do think I have a window where I'm prone to. Like, once I've spent the whole day with the kids and it's 5 p.m. and I feel like I deserve a little relaxing glass of wine because I've dealt with kids and how hard is that? So see, the victim thing. like.
0: Mm-hmm. I deserve um, this glass of wine. Yeah,
1: I deserve this. I have, I do everything here at home, and I'm trying to work, and I mean, I deserve this. Anyway, so that window, I've tried to fill it out with a, with a different gap, and that's why I have this group called the Habit Swap, because the triggers aren't going to go away. So you, I'm trying to substitute that habit that I had been cultivating for a different habit versus hoping that the triggers go away because they're not going to go away. So we've been going on bike rides or Going to the pool or just something I've noticed. Once I get past the seven thirty p.m., then I think I'm, I'm home. But the five to seven, for me at least, and like you said, everyone's experience is different. Is my hardest time of day right
0: now. Yeah, I want to back it up a little bit. You know, I've, I've been struggling to kind of formulate this question, but. You've been through down the road with addiction before, with the eating disorder, and it, it looks like to me is you recognize it pretty quick. You you realize that alcohol was consuming in your head. You know, what advice can you give to somebody out there who's having trouble recognizing it? You know, outside looking in, the person should probably quit drinking. But you know what what was what was imperative for you when you what were the signs like for you when you realized that you had a problem? Your
1: question is if someone. Still
0: kind of in denial yeah yeah cuz you, you know you mentioned um, okay I'm getting good at quitting <laughs> that's let's put it that way <laughs> I quit alcohol and last year I quit chewing tobacco and this year I've quit smoking the signs are easier for me to read the the consuming right. component and then when addiction starts chirping in my head but the first time with alcohol it was harder it was it was really hard to recognize that it was my ego my addiction lying to me in my own voice But as I go down this road, it's like, okay, I I can do this. I'm starting to recognize it. You know, just what advice do you have somebody that that they're they're struggling? Like, do I have a problem or or not?
1: I think the best advice that I can give, and then I almost wish that I told myself, right now everything's so fast and committed with the drinking, but with the eating disorder, it took me 10 years to admit it. And it doesn't mean it took me 10 years to get help because I tried to get help, but I wasn't committed. So I wish I would have just, known two concepts that have really helped me now, which is why, like if you're listening to this podcast or are you looking or you're looking at, am I an alcoholic little checklist? There's a reason why you're doing that. And I just think that if you know why you don't want to be that person, if you know why, if you know your why, it'll help you just to surrender quicker. And another big one for me, is just having a vision. If you're having doubts about your habits or what you're doing, maybe you don't want to use the word if you're an addict or not, but if you're having doubts about your past, maybe like sit down with a piece of paper and write out your vision. What do you want out of this life? Like who do you see yourself? How do you see yourself in ten years? And if you don't deal if you don't clean your side of the street, there's no way that vision can, can make itself happen. There's no way you can manifest the life that you want if you're chained to addiction and just acceptance it's so many components. Denial is such a bitch. But if you're when in doubt, when it comes to addiction, when in doubt, you're probably right. Like when in doubt, just, just get help. Just speak to someone because do it before it's too late. I feel like I wasted 10 years of my life and I don't have very important memories of my life because of my first addiction. So just, I don't know. This is such a hard question, Paul.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> it's a really hard question, but I think you've done a great job of covering some great topics on it. For example, you know, it can be simplified. If if you're wondering, eh, you might have a drinking problem and you're listening to this podcast, uh, hate to break it to you, that's probably your answer right there. It doesn't have to be this, this diagnostical nightmare in question. It, it can be pretty simple. But yeah, I just wanted to yeah, get you two cents the, on it.
1: Yeah, the the diagnosed piece, I think, freaks everyone out. Just like the higher power thing or AA, like it freaks people out. But I think just calling it whatever I want to change my habits whatever gets you through the next little step just just do it like let go of stigma and and labels and tags but just do that you know what's best for you deep down do the next right thing for yourself and surround yourself with people who don't enable like I love a lot of people but a lot of people are enablers a lot of my relationships are enabling so be upfront with them be honest be brave be brave man it, it takes takes
0: a lot of strength yeah it takes a lot of strength to be brave have those conversations it's not easy but you got to do things that you don't want to do and that are not going to be easy to improve your life and I think we both understand that and we see it with our Facebook groups is you know people are asking for advice this and this and this but it's a lot of not everybody's willing to put in the work and that's the frustrating thing um, and, yeah. and and myself at times there's goals in my life that I want but putting in the work is is difficult so. But, Odette, we have reached the rapid-fire round. If you can answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. (laughs) All (laughs) righty. Number one, Odette, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Just that event we talked about this last year, Super Bowl. It was terrible.
0: Just the greatest Super Bowl game of all time, (laughs) which you wouldn't remember probably.
1: Yeah, I probably didn't even spend a minute looking at the screen
0: gotcha number two next question Odette we've all heard of the aha moment did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking
1: I don't think I had a clear aha moment sobering up just had been in my mind for months I just knew it was time I, I woke up one day and it sounds super simple maybe but I just I just was tired of not listening to that little voice but it was time
0: and what's your plan in sobriety moving forward Odette you've got seven days how are you going to get eight nine ten two weeks a month moving forward
1: accountability for sure the groups that we've been talking about checking in finding more community possibly a a physical meeting and I love listening to personal development it doesn't have to be recovery or addiction related but I've just it's become a daily practice for me and I've really enjoyed just reading a a self-help book a a success book an uplifting biography whatever but something that just feeds my brain a little bit.
0: I love it. And what's your favorite resource in recovery?
1: I love this book by Melody Beattie. She's an author on codependency. It's called The Language of Letting Go. I share a lot about this book. It's daily passages, and they're great. Every day you just pick it up. It's like a, a calendar, and you, you check out the date, and you read the passage for that day, and, and it's, that's it. short and sweet. I like starting my morning with that. I love the Recovery Elevator podcast. I'm so thankful that I found it. Well, and thank you, Odette. I am... Really enjoying this book that I will mention again, A New Earth by Eckhart Toll. Not even related to addiction; it's just a great lead that helps a lot with spirituality, the ego, and all of that, all of that fun stuff.
0: I love it. Those are some great resources listed there. And thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And next question in regards to sobriety: What's the best you advice you've ever received, Odette?
1: You can't do it alone.
0: Yeah, I second that one. It's pretty solid advice.
1: Yeah. I, I'm normally an optimist, but this is a, a hard truth right here. You you need you need help when you need help.
0: And next question, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking?
1: I think just to own your truth, to to own your story, because I think a big driver of denial is comparing your habits with the next person's or your habits with your community or your your friend circle or whatever and no one no one's like you so own your truth you know do do a little inventory on yourself and, and and do the research on your family you know a lot of us are genetically predisposed so own your truth it'll really help you just surrender if you own your own truth
0: I mean, those are some good questions to ask to own your truth is difficult to do if you don't know the truth i found out when i was like 25 that my grandpa was an alcoholic man i really wish i would a I'd have known that before. Again, I'm not putting the blame on somebody else, but I didn't really right. know about this. So you're totally right. Yeah, I like that. And before we depart, Odette, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line.
1: Let's see. You might. This is probably already a used one, but this is what happened to me. You may be an alcoholic if you start creating rules for yourself around drinking. And then I have another one, which we were just talking about it. You may be an alcoholic if any of your parents have struggled with addiction.
0: Yep, ran it through the list. Those both qualify. Yeah, great ones. Looks good. Looks good. Well, Looks Odette, good. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, and congrats on seven days. It seems like you're rocking this. You're getting good at the recovery thing, and you're going to do great. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me, Paul. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks.
0: It was at the end of January. I was staying at a very good friend's house in Los Angeles before I was to deliver a speech at a speaking engagement the following Sunday. I had just gotten back from volunteering at Hope Rehab in Thailand for three weeks. I felt like I was on top of the world. It was about 3.30 in the morning, and I was wide awake due to jet lag. And I was set to speak later that day, I think 4 or 5 p.m., at a speaking engagement. I was listening to Gazette, dancing in the dark with my Bose wireless headphones on. I was smoking cigarettes, small red flag there, and I was ready to take on the world. I remember that feeling that I just wanted to take on everything right now, that everything was right within my grips to take for the taking. There were so many amazing things that I wanted to do, great experiences, projects to tackle. I was ready, bring it on world. I was feeling good. Might even venture off to say I was happy for that moment. Well, then life kinda happened. I remember about an hour before I was set to take the stage at the speak engagement that I hit a brick wall. Call it jet lag, call it whatever, holy crap, I hit a wall. I don't imagine the speaking engagement went very well. I'm afraid to watch the full YouTube video, but, you know, I guess it went okay. And that small little red flag called cigarettes, well, I dealt with that for the next five and a half months. Currently, right now, I'm 20 days free of nicotine, which feels great. I've had to learn this lesson the hard way twice. I had to learn the lesson with alcohol probably 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 times. Hopefully, two times with nicotine is enough. I can't go back there. And The reason why I'm sharing this with you guys is I'm still trying to get back on track. And that's okay. That's how life goes. At that moment, at 3.30 in the morning, when I was basically dancing by myself, smoking cigarettes, feeling ready to take on the world, well, when I got back to Montana... It was just like one obstacle and hurdle after another but i'm dealing with it i'm getting through it and i'm gonna be just fine and that song again is kazette dancing in the dark it's a really good song highly recommend you listen to it okay recovery elevator just thought i'd share that with you we all have plans in life and sometimes they go astray and i'm getting back on plan but i've got to enjoy the journey and not the destination so recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.